I was at a conference two or three weeks ago and by far the popular opinion seemed to be Vue is better than React or most people are using Vue. I think Vue seems to be the dominant choice because it doesn't have really any of the bad history that either Angular or React does. But in terms of future outlook, I'm really excited to see where React is going. I don't think React is going to be like dethroned anytime soon. That was Dev Agrawal, an independent software developer and content creator. I wanted to speak with Dev about the state of React and what the future of React might look like. I noticed, and maybe you noticed as well, in the community there's some contention around React at the moment. A basic React app is a lot more complex than it used to be. There hasn't been a major update lately, and the updates we have seen, like React server components, depend on a meta framework like Next.js for example to implement them, creating something of a divide depending on if you want a meta framework at all, and if so, which one. Even though I'm optimistic about React and I love React, it's not going anywhere. I recognize this kind of converse is never encouraging when you're learning a new framework, which I know you might be, or maybe you know React already and you're just curious about what's going on. That's why I invited Dev, who's a React expert deeply embedded in the community, to tell us more. Was it always obvious to you that you would become a professional developer of some kind? Yeah, you mean considering given uh, my name is Dev, did I always know I was going to be a Dev? You know, when I met you, I thought Dev was a nickname. I wasn't sure if it was your real name or a perfect nickname. Yeah, I get that a lot. It does have a different meaning in our language. To be honest, like up until maybe five or six years ago, I didn't even realize that my name actually was Dev, which was perfect for developer because I, was, I wanted to be a developer. So... I kind of got into programming very early. My brother, who's like seven years older than me, he was learning a little bit of C++ in high school. And uh, like just as a learning exercise, he used to teach me a lot of things. He used to explain them to me. Like he was using me as a rubber duck. And I was like 12 years old. And uh, I somehow like grasped uh, some like very basics of programming. I wrote a little bit of C++. And then I never touched programming for like six, another six years. So you weren't doing any programming in school, basically, but when you turned 18 or so, something was telling you to pick it back up, huh? Maybe I was much younger than 12, actually. I think I was like nine or 10. But yeah, I picked up HTML and CSS in high school. I saw some of my classmates like making some cool websites and being popular in class because of it, giving like presentations to the class, being our computer teacher's favorite students. Whoa, I wish I was in your school. Nobody thought programming was cool when I was in secondary school. Yeah, it, it only looked cool because they could do like cool animations using CSS. Like C CSS3 was kind of the hype and uh, everyone was doing transitions and uh, like CSS animations and like going to web design contests it wasn't considered cool by the majority it was just considered cool by like a few like select nerds and i was just a part of uh, those group of nerds it was considered cool by the really cool people i think is what <laughs> you're trying to say yeah let's phrase it like that after that i started taking some classes in high school and like after high school those were like php asp and a little bit of javascript i started with html and css but i kind of immediately jumped into like full stack with PHP and JavaScript. So since very early on, I've always been like just making full stack apps. I've never had a project or a period of my life where I'm only working on the front end or I'm only working on the back end. Like pretty much most projects that I've been on has, has been like full stack projects. Uh, initially it was PHP and JavaScript. Then it became full stack JavaScript and sometimes uh, like uh, Java or .NET. 
when I was in college, just because of classes. Yeah, that seems to be the way it goes in school. They often use things like Java, but then when you code in your own time or at a company, you might veer towards like a JavaScript or a Ruby or something considered a bit more trendy for some reason, but nothing against those languages either. Was this a hobby or was it something that you were trying to make a profession out of? It certainly started out as a hobby, but as like high school was coming to a close and we all had to decide what to do with our lives or like follow some sort of like whatever convention societal template we are provided. Yeah, I know. Bills to pay. Yeah, but I got really excited about web dev and I decided that that's what I'm going to go to college for. I was already spent like sinking a lot of time into it. And at some point, I also decided that I don't want to study in India. If I want to be in tech, then the good old US of A is probably a great place to be in. Yeah, I'd say so. How many years have you been in the States for now, by the way? A little over five years now. It was a five-year degree. So the college that I went to, they have a co-op program where for any STEM majors, Along with taking your classes, you're also doing a full-time job. So you alternate between a semester of full-time study and a semester of full-time job. So this is very useful, especially for someone who was in a tech field, in an IT field where industry experience is, uh, is a lot more valuable than traditional education. I think th those, two, those are two things that have significantly helped my career. The first one was like being full stack from very early on so I can like build a lot of cool stuff. And the second was being able to work full time while I'm studying. Yeah, that's very valuable because I think when you're teaching yourself how to code, of course, we all start in a similar place with the basics. And although there's some cool things you can build with variables and if statements and loops, uh, it's often the case that you start to build real applications. And then if you don't know a full stack aspect to it, I think it's okay to specialize in front-end as a junior, and maybe you can use platforms as a service like Firebase to bridge the gap and stuff and, and add some cool features. But in any case, if you're a one-person band and you want to bring something to life, that full stack component is going to help you, I think, build something you can show to somebody and share a link to and they can get value out of. Um, but the other thing you said, which I think is really interesting, is like getting to combine this, I suppose, theoretical experience you get at school. Maybe it's more course-based, more textbook-based, that kind of thing, with an actual real-world experience. Because I noticed for a lot of people learning to code, and myself as well, you reach this point where you're doing all this learning via courses, but you're not actually putting it into use in the real world. And then it's like, are you learning the right thing? And then you start to realize that a whole part of writing software is writing software together writing the right, you know, coding the right things and going about things in the correct way. And these aren't things you typically learn from like a classroom or a module on an online course. I think you only get them from like the in-person experience when you're collaborating with a team. Honestly, that's one of the areas where my experience has been lacking the most because from very early on, like, again, I was a part of like the small group of nerds who was excited about like programming and web dev back in school. But that group doesn't really like it's hard to do projects together at any point. Like you can always find people who are enthusiastic about something. But being able to work with people is like a whole different kind of skill set that I don't really know if I have fully unlocked it yet. I've been doing a lot of like solo development. So when I was in high school, I started with PHP and stuff. But the first kind of freelance project that I got, a contract based project, it was before college, but I was the only person working on it. We were supposed to be two people, but the other person didn't really contribute much, you know, as group projects go. And then because of the kind of experience that I had racked up leading up to college, 
once we got into projects, either school projects or side projects or even work projects, I just kind of like prefer to be left alone and just do my thing. I didn't really for a long time unlock the skill of how do I work with different people, let alone how do I lead a team? Uh, that's something that's kind of like being hammered into me while working at these full-time jobs, both at my last job where I was put in charge of a team, uh, a pretty small team, but I was put in charge of it. And then obviously now that I am in a DevRel team at Clerk, I guess my answer to your question is, I don't really have that skill a lot. To be fair, I do think it's a hard thing to measure. You can look at old code and be like, oh, this code's bad. And that's how you know you've improved sometimes. Or you can look at your scores on a test or whatever and get a, a kind of measurable sense of where you've come from. But I think when it comes to these soft skills, it's a bit hard to like measure and it does creep up on you a little bit. All that to say, I think it's very likely you're further along than you might suggest. And maybe that's a testament of doing these kind of things because I think for a lot of people, it turns out to be a bit of a blind spot and then it catches up with them one day. But by putting yourself in those positions, sounds like it's hard to fall too far astray. You know, you're getting better at coding and better working in a team. I, I really like that. A lot of people wonder, do they have to go to university to get a job as a programmer? And we kind of know that isn't true anymore. Like lots of people get jobs without a degree. But at the same time, it's easy to wonder, because I'm a self-taught dev, by the way, I, I never did CompSci or anything like that at school. So sometimes we wonder, like, what are the things that we're missing out on if we didn't do a five-year degree like yourself? I'm honestly wondering the same thing. I have been for a while. I have been kind of trying to justify, like, why did I even bother to get a college degree? Obviously, like, if, like, we rewind back time and if I didn't actually end up going to a college here in the States, I don't know what kind of a position I would be in. For me, it was very important to kind of break into tech by breaking into, like, not breaking into, but getting into this country, <laughs> legally getting a visa to get into this country to be able to study and work. Uh, that was like one of the big changes in my life that has obviously had a lot of positive impact. And if I did not go to college, that wouldn't have happened. So I guess that's one of the things that someone who doesn't go to college might be missing on is just uh, missing out on is just going to a, a different location with a different perspective, with, a, with different opportunities and uh, basically diversifying their their own perspective of the world and then obviously once i got to college once i was in this environment there's a lot of resources here there's obviously a lot of people who are specifically uh, rooting for students to succeed so there's a lot of opportunities that open up for all sorts of students like you get to talk to these professors you get to talk to professionals and uh, a lot of things about college i feel like you have to know that they exist. You have to know how to be able to use them properly, how to like use those resources to accelerate your own like growth uh, over college. That's something that I feel like a lot of college students kind of miss on. Or I guess college is a lot of a build your own adventure, right? You pick and choose what you want to do. It has a lot of tools, like obviously colleges come with fraternities and parties that you can go to or they come with resources that you can use to accelerate in your career or you can do both i decided to just do one of them i never thought about a school like that in terms of a choose your own adventure because teaching yourself to code that feels also like a choose your own adventure it didn't really occur to me they both could be that way and i primarily think that way because the curriculums the guided courses those have not really been very helpful to me i think any structure that the colleges will give you especially if you're in tech, if you're in software, if you're in programming, it's going to be very disconnected from where the world is right now. 
that's why that's primarily why i call it like build your own adventure because the adventure that's handed to you i don't think that's very relevant or helpful that's how you end up coding java applets for java 5 or something kind of outdated like that or god forbid a delphi or pascal or something super dated like that yeah or you spend all your time on lead code and you never really like learn how to build an actual app yeah that's so funny like i've come across people who have great lead code scores and then you're like okay do a join on this database and they're like um the date what like you know they're just so focused on the algorithms in that case you can get too narrow focused on something yeah or center a div i don't know how to center a div to be fair but nevertheless see if colleges made courses on how to center a div and how to exit vim it would be so much better i've still got vim open on my computer i i mean i just can't close it coming up on the scramble podcast what's going on with react it's the exact same thing that happened over a decade ago but first, let's take a look at social media. Hello, I'm Jan, the producer, and in every episode, I look for your LinkedIn and Twitter posts about our show, and the coolest ones get shoutouts. On LinkedIn, Ingrid shared our interview with Leo DeLeon that we published in April of 2023 and wrote, This Scrimba podcast was so awesome, and Leo's story resonated with my own coding journey. I admire his growth mindset and tenacity. A few excellent takeaways from this podcast. Number one, consistency is key. Number two, keep going. Motivation fluctuates. Number three, start today if you haven't. Number four, readme-driven development. Mentioned by Alex the host is something I'll look into for my next project. I highly encourage you to listen to this story and get inspired. Thank you, Ingrid. That was a really cool episode and I will be linking it in the show notes in case you missed it. And if you would like to join the conversation, just post about us on Twitter and LinkedIn. As long as your post contains the words Scrimba and podcast, we will find it. Word of mouth is the best way to support a podcast that you like. But if you're feeling super supportive, you can also leave us a rating or a review in your podcast app of choice. So like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Overcast or Pocket Casts, Podchaser, Podcast Addict. We also read your reviews on the show. But for now, we're going back to our interview with Dev the Dev. How did you end up transitioning into like your first role in tech? Did university help you there by like helping you tee something up or did you have to kind of hustle on your own? I think that depends on like what counts as first role in tech. If you're going to count the freelance project that I got before college, then that was uh, mostly through networking and like uh, knowing a person who knows a person who knows a person. I think like actually every job that I've held or like anything that was uh, paying me to do anything, it's always been because of networking or because of showing enthusiasm or because of finding someone who has a problem and convincing them that I have a solution or I can help in some way. That has been the story for like four out of four of my jobs and projects that I've been able to work on. This is an example of where we could do two full podcast episodes because what you're saying is reigning true for me. And I have to say, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. That's kind of the way I've seen it play out as well. And yet, understandably, when you're new to the industry, you think it's all about applying to jobs and building a portfolio and stuff. And there is definitely room for this. It definitely can make an impact. But it's often about proving your value, I would say, and proving it to the right person. That's how you open up some really interesting conversations. So what we'll do is like table that. And if people want to hear a second episode where we go more into Dev's career advice, I think that'd be an excellent episode indeed. 
But something else that I want to kind of talk about today and segues into a little bit is, well, you just strike me as being really embedded within the React community. And you seem, you strike me at least as someone who's always toying with and learning about the latest React technologies. And that to me is a great opportunity because the React ecosystem and community, it seems a bit fragmented, you could say at the moment. I'm not sure if you, you see what I mean by that and if you agree. We have seen posts cropping up lately, people sort of questioning the state of React, something that used to be so simple and straightforward. Uh, there's not quite a lot of proving parts. What's your kind of take on the current situation with React? Man, I wish I could summarize what's happening with React in like a concise manner, but there's a few things that, that are going on. The quote unquote disappointment that we have seen from some of the React community is kind of geared around a few core issues. I use the word issue very like loosely. I'm not saying that these are like solid issues with some sort of institution. I'm just saying that this is what I've noticed. The first one is that the priorities of the React project, the React team seem to be at a misalignment with the priorities of the community. So that's how kind of how I want to put it. Uh, you might have seen that some of the React team has left Meta, which is where React originated, and they have left to join Vercel, which is a web hosting company, right? And these are like prominent members, uh, prominent like influencers within the React team member. They're not just like a random individual contributor. It's the tech lead of React, Sebastian, and a couple of like very core people. And even the person who managed the React team, Tom Okino, he's now at Vercel. So... This kind of like pops up some red flags with the community. Why is this happening? There's some change going on. There's a difference in priorities, seems like. And uh, server components are kind of like another manifestation of the priorities seem to be misaligned. So I'm sure we'll get more into server components at some point. And the other kind of thing that's powering like this disappointment with the community is that React seems to hasn't done much in the last few years. Like it seems like the ecosystem, the community is like, it's getting big. A lot of people are using it, but there's problems with the with React, obviously. Uh, no tool is perfect. There's a lot of problems with it. And when some tool gets that popular, all the problems with it really like come to the surface. They become really visible. And it seems like React is doing nothing to fix those. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that Vercel is a web hosting company, that's true. I suppose another key point to highlight is that they are the company behind Next.js, which is a meta framework. It might be fair to say that it's gaining some traction lately. And I also see things like Remix that did not exist two years ago, as far as I know. That's been gaining a fair bit of traction, at least on social media. And then you have other categories of meta frameworks like Astro and so on. And I just wondered if like this has anything to do with the stuff you're talking about with regards to like this split in the community. Definitely. I'm also going to like first disclaimer, everything I say is that obviously I'm not a part of React core team. I don't work at Vercel. So everything that I'm saying is an outside perspective. It's what I have observed and it's like my own interpretation or like educated guess of what might be happening underneath. So a lot of things that I'm going to say could turn out to be wrong. If that's the case, just let me know. So meta frameworks. I think when a lot of people started adopting React, they started adopting it for things that maybe React wasn't always supposed to do. We've always had the apps versus sites argument where do you use React for apps? Yeah, but do you use React for sites? 
where uh, the distinction between app and sites has always been hand wavy. So I'm not going to get into that. But there's certainly a class of applications that needs a lot of like page load performance that needs to be like uh, you can quickly navigate through it. And basically, like it shouldn't suffer from the, the heavy bundles that we end up with a lot of times when we create React applications. So Meta Framework kind of came in to help solve that problem so that you can build SEO sites, you can render on the server, you can uh, build your like blog sites or content sites, static sites, but still use these uh, frameworks like React, right? And I think what's happened over time is that because of Meta Frameworks, a lot of the community has kind of lost the perspective on how big this problem used to be. Like we have Next.js and things like Remix and Gatsby. I guess Gatsby doesn't quite, we, we still haven't, let's go with that. Uh, we have a lot of these tools that help us build like better apps and better sites with React. So when we see React solving the exact same problem, we look at it and we're like, wait, why is this needed? I, I already have a meta framework. Why are you working on this to stick to the client side and solve my problem, solve the problems that I have on the client instead of doing the server stuff that every other framework is doing? Yeah, I guess that React originally, for like without any question of a doubt, it was all about the front end. And it was a way to like structure your front end app in components and manage how the data flows between those components. Like very simply, in fact, people didn't want to call React a framework. They really deliberately, very specifically wanted to call it a library because it was a bit more focused than say Angular, which brought in a lot of nuts and bolts with it. The idea was React was purely about rendering components. Like that's what React was all about. But these days, I think calling it a library might be really wrong actually, because when we talk about things like React server components, but also Next and Remix and all these, you know, meta frameworks with a server component, it feels like React has gone from being only about the front end to being more of a full stack type of solution. I don't actually know if that's a good or a bad thing, because one thing that's kind of nice about REST APIs or whether you're using GraphQL or something like that is that you do have this separation between front end and back end. People like that for a few different reasons, mainly that it's flexible, right? And it also meant it was kind of versatile in the, you know, one team could work on the back end, one team could work on the front end. It just kind of made sense, I think, to a lot of people. But inevitably, I would say the majority of React applications, they are basically full stack applications just with a separate back end technology. So I can see why the team might be thinking a little bit about, okay, how do we solve this problem in the same place? and get some advantages along the way. How much do you know about GraphQL? Let's assume for everybody listening that we don't know. GraphQL is another one of those tools that kind of attempts to unify the backend and the frontend in like a shared language. So GraphQL is like the extreme of what you get when your frontend could be absolutely anything, your backend could be absolutely anything. You have no idea, but you want them to talk to each other and you want them to be closer together. React server components, the conception of React server components kind of started with this idea of what comes after GraphQL. So it's attempting to solve a very similar problem where the server and client kind of like are unified together. They can work collaboratively to ensure the best possible UI experience. And yeah, I, I definitely see how that seems like React is kind of like becoming more of a framework. It's not uh, like it's kind of overstepping its boundaries a bit. What do you think? I was watching this amazing talk by Pete Hunt called Rethinking Best Practices. It's kind of like one of those iconic talks about React where, you know, when originally React came out, it received a lot of backlash for the kind of things it was doing compared to other frameworks. JSX. Exactly. Yeah, JSX. Uh, that's what everyone focused on and how it like completely destroyed separation of concerns. But this talk by Pete Hunt, Rethinking Best Practices, 
it really kind of like gave us like a punch in the face about how do how we think separation of concerns work and why that's wrong and uh, what react actually is meaning to do the whole point of react always was that our ui library should not enforce a pattern or a separation of concerns on us this should be something in our control so react gives us these components that only render once these components are basically how you would structure your uh, app like in a template and like logic but separately because most frameworks want you to do it separately right react made them the same thing you just have a one component what that means is that the separation of concerns kind of becomes our problem if we want to separate logic from ui we can do that we have done that like there has been pure components and smart or like smart and dumb components or presentation yeah so all those practices have been around what happened here is that react gave us the complete control of how we want to draw our boundaries how we want to compose the components together and i think we are basically seeing history repeat itself that's uh, i am 95% convinced that we are seeing history repeat itself we uh, server components do a very similar thing where instead of breaking the boundary between a template and the logic it's now breaking the boundary between the client and the server which means once again we are in complete control of how do we want to structure our back end and front end code uh, we are no longer kind of like bound to this limitation of what server code is and what client code is because now they can like seamlessly interop with each other so it's up to us how we want to like come up with those separation of concerns boundaries and how do we want to enforce them i think when this conversation starts to get hairy and it might be one of the reasons why next comes under the crossfire sometimes is like as you're talking about this it makes sense but my experience with react server components is with next and in next like it it does feel quite like it's not up to me like it's a little bit opinionated maybe about the way to go about doing it is that fair to say yeah for sure server components are kind of it's an architecture it's like a paradigm it can be used in many different ways the problem that a lot of people run into is and i completely get this i've had this issue myself many times is that what is server components and what is nextjs and how they, how are they different from each other it's really hard to see where that boundary is and uh, that's that's been like a pretty big barrier in people understanding server components and people adopting server components or just like thinking about the possibilities with server components just because of how closely those two are intertwined and you already talked about like a whole different podcast episode that we can do i can probably also do another 40 minute session on how nextjs app router and server components are different from each other where the boundaries are because like i've also like been looking at a lot of other frameworks especially like solid js and solid start and i obviously follow like remix creators ryan florence and uh, like i've been watching all of these framework authors kind of battle with where the where do the boundaries lie and how do we combine like the uh, react model and what the framework wants to implement so i think just because of like how much time i've like obsessed and spent onto this i obviously have like a good idea of where the boundaries are but i don't really expect most people right now to be able to tell that difference it's interesting because what we're describing even though there's a very like good reason to explore these things and it, it sounds productive and by the way i've played with these things and they seem productive to me I think the trouble with software sometimes is that it, it's really hard to predict how people are going to use your library or framework potentially. And it takes a bit of time to sort of see if this is the right approach. And I feel like next, maybe, you know, no negative feelings about this at all. I think someone has to, but it's obviously kind of advantageous for them to bring the first 
you know, React server components framework, you could say, to to developers. And when I say framework, it's like not just RSCs, but they support server actions and the router works of all of it. Like, and, and if you go to the React documentation, they have like a section on bleeding edge frameworks and they mention Next. And as you mentioned before, all these React people went to Next. And like, I don't know, it feels like it could be a little bit hasty, maybe, I don't know. Whereas what I see from like, just my very, you know, thin musings from Twitter when I see Ryan Florence and so on tweets. It's a bit like we're going to kind of wait and see, or we're going to give it to you in a slightly more flexible way so that we're not like putting all our eggs in this basket. And if it turns out to be the wrong paradigm, we can kind of change that. Yeah. I think the first thing is that I really want to challenge the notion of and next is like in an advantageous position. My view of the reality is completely opposite because what I have seen is that Next.js a really, really popular web framework decided to tell everyone who's using Next.js, uh, using their framework is that, hey, we are now going to do things differently. And as a popular like framework developer, why would you ever want to do that? Like, why would you ever want to completely switch your APIs and like the paradigm on your users? If I was like in the position of the developers of Next.js, I would feel horrible doing that. I don't think Next.js is actually in a great position. And I don't think Next.js has any control over what React is doing or how React is coming up with ideas or server components. I don't really think Next.js is an advantageous position. I don't think Next.js wanted to be in this position. Like obviously as the framework developers, they would have much rather preferred if they could just bring the new features into the framework without completely rewriting the underlying technology, the underlying infrastructure. I don't know if you go on the next documentation now, there's like a dropdown at the top, pages router, which is considered old, and the app router, which is like fundamentally incompatible, but new and embraces RSEs and things like that. So it sounds like you think they've taken a bit of a risk, maybe, and it's not an advantage. They've taken a big risk, yeah. I think the Next.js developers were probably like one of the first few people to be like fully sold on server components. And you can imagine that for a framework that big, if uh, someone like that decides to like completely switch over paradigm, obviously it's a big risk, but maybe there's something actually really valuable there that they decided to like completely gut its internals, completely like basically build a completely new framework to support this new kind of paradigm. And because of that, I don't think they're in, a, they're in an advantageous position because they're one of the very first few like frameworks to test out and to really test like what server components in production looks like. There's a, a Shopify framework that was involved in it a while ago, but now like they completely like got rid of that. And then instead they decided to invest in Remix instead, instead of server components. I think anyone who's going to come after Next.js, once Remix implements server components, I definitely think it would have a nicer implementation of uh, server components compared to Next.js. But most of that is because they're not the first ones to the party. They get to learn from the mistakes. Exactly, yeah. Uh, I know there's a phrase for this, second mover. Second mover's advantage, yeah, exactly. Well, maybe it's like late mover advantage or something, but I recognize the sentiment. Like the later you come into a field, the more perspective you have on how to do things right. That's right. But the downside is you, in like a startup world, you might be too late. But I think when it comes to developers, there's a lot more of a like nuanced decision to make there about what is the right technology to take your project forward with. And do you agree with it? Because one thing that Next seems to get a bit of flack for, honestly, is like they don't they don't seem to like totally respect web standards, it feels like. And they do tend to like give certain attributes, for example, a different meaning on the server side than the client side. And I personally don't really mind, to be honest. Like, but I think that some people praise Remix because it does seem to like 
you know, instead of replacing an existing attribute, which we know to mean something, they might create a new one with a new meaning, which I guess like the whole thing is, you said that history is repeating itself. And I'm curious what you meant by that, because it does feel like all these frameworks, they, or libraries, remember people were using things like Knockout.js and Backbone at one point, and they got really popular, Ember.js as well. And they gained adoption because they did one thing really, really well, you could say, and they continued to evolve and had features. But then at some point it kind of got a bit bloated or they were just going down the wrong path, like a new paradigm had emerged and we needed a new library or a new framework to take advantage of this paradigm. And I've seen it going around Twitter a bit lately, these kind of memes where it's like showing a React app 10 years ago, it's meant to be really simple. And a React app today with like a complex webpack config or a meta framework behind the scenes and, you know, RSEs and all this kind of stuff. So some people say, oh, it's getting too complicated. But then you were also pointing out that some people say like, oh, React isn't moving fast enough. Like we haven't had any new features in a while. And I just wonder, like, what is a team like React meant to do in that situation? It feels like it's hard to win. I've seen similar sentiments from Dan Abramov, who was a part of React Core team. Right. He's still considered an authority in terms of React just because of like uh, his contribution on the React core team. And he has come up with like similar sentiments on Twitter that like there's a p this piece of technology that he and like a lot of people are really excited about. And uh, because they think it solves a lot of problems that uh, they've seen something like it solve a lot of problems. But now that they come to the community with this piece of technology, everyone is like everyone has a lot of backlash, like no one seems to care enough. Again, this is why I think history is repeating itself because last night I was again watching the Rethinking Best Practices and I was watching a couple of talks by Jordan Walk who created React originally. And it's the exact same thing that happened over a decade ago, that they had this piece of technology that they built internally, they used it in a lot of places, they loved it. But when they open source it, when they uh, show it to the world, they receive a bunch of backlash until someone comes around and uh, slams you in the face with what separation of concerns actually means. So we're just waiting for that to happen at this point. We're waiting for rethinking uh, best practices part two. I don't know. It all sounds a bit tumultuous in a way, but React's position is very cemented. And from what I can see, even though Next might be moving quickly, arguably, not all the other incumbents are like even react themselves like the way they release these features is not via like a big version but it's is it called canary react canary and like that's what the meta frameworks access and i don't think they're doing a decision that can't be undone but it does sound tumultuous in a way and i wonder what you think about the future outlook of react and if you know what could happen is like maybe svelte starts to gain traction or something uh, i see smirking a little bit i mean yeah i was at a conference two or three weeks ago not a React conference, it was like a general software dev conference. And by far the popular opinion seemed to be Vue is better than React or most people are using Vue. Most people might be still using React, but people want to learn and use Vue in their projects. That's what they want to bring in. So yeah, for a lot of like enterprise or like mainstream or people like outside of this little bubble that we have, I think Vue seems to be the dominant choice because it doesn't have really any of the bad history that either Angular or React does. And it has a huge momentum. Um, but obviously, like when talking about frameworks that are not like super mainstream, that are still niche or somewhere between niche and mainstream, I think Svelte and Solid are like very, very strong competitors in this area. But in terms of future outlook, I'm really excited to see where React is going. I don't think React is going to be like dethroned anytime soon as like the go-to library to like build web applications. I think the features that React is coming up with, both with server components and with the forget compiler that we haven't talked about yet, it's going to only like kind of cement its position as 
the de facto choice. And we are just like kind of in the growing pains stage right now of that. And it's necessary, right? Like change isn't always straightforward or easy, but it's through this discussion and through a lot of the um, experimentation that people do in relation to these things. I, I actually just came across a little, I think it's like a minimal React framework called uh, Waku or Waku. Yeah, Waku. It's amazing. And like, I'm, I'm reading the page and I'm like, oh, okay, you, can, you, you don't just have to do server components with Next. It looks like you can do it with this, you know, and there's actually a cool post, which is something along the lines of you, you don't need a meta framework to do RSC. And it talks about how you might accomplish it, but arguably doesn't provide a full path and all this kind of stuff, but it's still very early days. So you know what, Dev, I feel like we had an impossible task ahead of us today, which is to like summarize the state of the React ecosystem, talk about your journey. But I do think that in the community right now on Dev2 and newsletters and Twitter and stuff, there is a general kind of like, yeah, there's still this divide as you put it, I think, which and you put it very eloquently that maybe someone listening has caught wind of, but doesn't quite know exactly what's happening. I'm not sure I did before speaking with you today. We spoke a little bit about React server components along the way. I might have to like define them a little bit in the introduction so people can follow along. But otherwise, I think this was a, a fantastic interview. And thank you so much, Dad, for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. I, one thing I would add about server components is that a lot of people seem to almost like have FOMO, like fear of missing out in terms of uh, React server components. The biggest thing that I would tell people who might be feeling FOMO regarding server components is that there's really no reason to. Server components are like a purely additive thing on top of React. And they have like a kind of really high barrier to adopting and using. So at this stage, like if you don't know what server components are, if you don't know if you want to transition to it, if you don't know if they make sense for your business case, that's completely fine. It's not something that every React developer is going to need to learn. It's so easy, isn't it? You look at social media or GitHub. And of course, we're talking about the new stuff. That's where the discourse is. That's what the future is. Because we don't like talking about the boring stuff that we do at work. People do this. They talk about how things have got too complex and we want to keep it simple. But meanwhile, we're all got this like shiny object syndrome and we want to like use the, the latest and greatest thing. It's always worth repeating on the Scrimba podcast. We say this a lot about LinkedIn and jobs or Twitter and tech. It's a bit of an echo chamber. Like it's not indicative of like what's going on in the industry, which is what really matters if you want to get a job. And frankly, sometimes the way I think about these things is like, yeah, I think Facebook was written in PHP originally, but it could just as well have been Java. Yeah, instead of uh, rewriting like to a different programming language, they rewrote the, the programming language. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. But I guess I guess the point I'm making is like they could have implemented it with anything and still produce the world's fastest growing social network, you know? Don't lose sight of that. Like it's all about delivering value to the user ultimately and creating a secure or smooth or valuable experience. Your users don't care if you're using RSC or something else, unless, you know, unless it has an impact on the performance. But there are more than one ways to skin a cat, as you know. You don't have to use RSCs and suspense to like create a skeleton UI and stuff like that. There's other ways of doing it. So good perspective to have, I think. If you do need to do some server performance stuff, it would be a great idea to learn server components and do that. But then like you have to know that you're learning server components because you want to accomplish a specific task in an easier way, not just because it's there. Not because you have FOMO, yeah. which unfortunately is me, by the way. For me with React, I like the fact that it hasn't changed that much in the last decade or so. 
because I, I learned React like maybe a few years after it came out and I learned class components and use states and component hierarchy and how to think in components and, you know, a few advanced features here and there. And like, I was like off to the races, like I could do it, like it did everything I needed it to. And then I kind of just didn't think much about it. And I do a lot of content creation and stuff. I'm not always coding. So I was really surprised five years later. I was like, wow, all this stuff I learned about React, it's pretty much up to date. And then hooks came about and hooks was a big change. And I had to like sit down and learn about hooks and the way I would describe it is that I don't pay attention to every small change in React or in the ecosystem, but if there's a big thing happening, I kind of want to know about it so I don't go out of date. And, you know, I say I had FOMO about RSC, but really it was more that like, it seemed like a big thing. It seems like a big thing potentially. And like, it is the kind of thing that if I slapped on in 12 months, I might feel like I don't really know React anymore. And so it did create that kind of feeling within me. I'm not sure if that's FOMO or me just like paying attention to the big stuff. Maybe it's too early to tell if it really is a big thing or just a trendy thing, you know? Yeah. And to some extent, it's also a kind of like misinterpretation or how you are uh, like just a problem with how people are talking about it. How people like me, how people like the React Core team, how people like the Next.js. Uh, the Vercel people are talking about server components because everyone's talking about it it sounds like a silver bullet but know why you're trying to go towards a specific technology and try to cut the noise brilliant advice off the social media that's right and it applies to everything right whether it's rsc or new developers often think oh should i learn typescript or frankly you're learning react and i'm really glad at some point during this interview you said react is not going to be dethroned the way i interpreted that was like if you're listening to this and you're learning react keep learning react you summed it up perfectly thank you for joining me on the scrimmer podcast it's been a pleasure thanks for having me on that was a Scramble podcast. Thanks for listening. If you made it this far, please subscribe. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts. The show is hosted by Alex Booker. I've been Jan, the producer. Keep coding and we'll see you next time.